Hello and welcome to a special episode of Real Estate Insights, looking at the outlook for the central London office market with four people as plugged into it as you could ever want. In the context of the city, I actually think, you know, probably the city core will be the best performer over the next five years. You could say maybe nine out of ten conversations that we have, the priority continues to be central London. Even record rents have been set in, in the pandemic, and I think that's a reflection of the fact that you know, it is an undersupplied sector. The focus going forward, certainly for the next 12 to 18 months, will continue to be in the core space and core class. It will continue to be focused on the very best assets. Yes, as I say, this is a slightly different episode to usual. We recently held an online webinar on the central London office market, including a Q&A session with four key members of the Savills team taking questions from the audience. They were Stephen Down, who's head of central London investment, Philip Pierce, who's head of central London leasing, Emma Steele, Director of Global Cross-Border Investment, and Matt Oakley, Head of Commercial Research. He started by trying to answer whether a combination of Brexit, COVID-19 and potential long-term changes to international travel were putting London's status as a sort of capital of the world at risk. A question I put first to Stephen Down. London's preeminence in, in the globe as a sort of centre for, for central London investment has been there for the best part of 20 years, certainly since the mid-90s. And I can't see why that will change. Yes, we've got challenges with Brexit and resolving uh, equivalency issues and regulation issues with the EU, which we're promised will be resolved. And, and indeed, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, said that there'll be a new big bang, referring to the Big Bang of the 1980s, where we saw financial deregulation. There's so much infrastructure, both business and otherwise, in London. Uh, it, it'll be difficult to knock it off that particular podium. Philip, what's your, what, what, what's your thinking? I tend to agree with Stephen, actually. I think not a lot has changed during the pandemic to take the gloss away from London. I think the gravitational pull of London is still there in the sense that there are a extensive range of international companies based in London. There is definitely a bit of a gravitational pull globally in terms of the pool of talent and the diversity of companies and expertise. And I think one thing that shouldn't be underestimated is is the link to the US. The US has always been very comfortable with London as a as a market. So yeah, I think on balance it's a it's a relatively positive um, outlook, albeit. I think we've obviously got challenges at the moment, but every storm eventually passes. So that, that, that's the view from people sitting in, in, in the UK or in London or close to London. Emma, you're, you're sort of either virtually or really out there talking to investors around the world. Uh, do you sense a, a change at all in the way they, they view London? You're right. I, I spend the majority of my time speaking to international investors. And I think what is most telling is that you could say maybe nine out of 10 conversations that we have, the priority continues to be central London. Um, if they can invest, they want to invest in central London. And I think Stephen's mentioned it, but the fundamentals of the market are so strong and the safe haven status remains despite the headwinds that we've had over the last few years. And Matt, do you, do you have a view on this particular, particular issue? Well, I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, you know, London's not the centre of the world, but 76% of all the money that was invested in London offices last year 
came from non-domestic investors. So, you know, I have no doubt that we will continue to be attractive. Despite the fact, everybody, that European cities are becoming more English language centric, uh, there's going to be less international travel, one imagines, as a result of COVID. you're, You're still confident, are you? I think so. I think um, the barriers to entry in other in other European centres are much higher than they are in London. And it goes back to the transparency of the marketplace. And I was having a conversation earlier in the week with a Singaporean investor. And the reality is that London is the most transparent market and that makes it the easiest place for them to trade. And um, so therefore, I think London will, will remain the top. We're getting a lot of questions in on, on some quite specific subjects. So I'd like, if I can, to move on to a, a specific subject, which is unsurprisingly COVID. I mean, I, I think one of the things that I was always quite surprised by was the number of people that did um, towards the end of last year to come back into central London and in particular young people. And I think that bodes quite well. The work from home genie is definitely out of the bottle and it won't ever get rebottled anytime soon. But I do think companies will look to attract staff back. They want to create spaces to, to, to not only serve their customers, but more importantly, is, is act as a pull to get staff back into the office. And Stephen, do you anticipate that having an impact on the type of space that investors uh, are going to be interested in and, and want in future? It's all about core markets and it's all about good quality assets in those markets. So uh, I don't see, see that changing a great deal. There are more adventurous investors, private equity groups, large property companies coming in from overseas that will venture out into the, uh, into the greater London uh, area. But I think for the majority of investment from overseas, it will be uh, in zone one and in the very best parts of zone one. We had a question in asking about the different hubs in, in London. You know, we used to have City and West End and then we got Canary Wharf and then perhaps Shoreditch and then South Bank. And do we think that there is a, that that's going to continue or do we think that there's going to be a sort of retrenchment uh, towards the traditional centres? Coming out of a recession, I'm always thinking, you know, what will be the next growth sub market? You might argue that, you know, last time round it was sort of King's Cross that came very strongly from being a sort of fringe market to a to a core market. I think there are locations that will do that this time around. You know, the South Bank developers were, were incredibly actively hunting for sites down there last year and the year before. We will start to see some new stock being delivered. You've obviously got the Northern Line extension, a Battersea Power Station coming through. I think Wood Wharf down in Canary is, is very exciting. It's a complete change of direction and environment. So some of these locations, I think, you know, will outperform um, going forward. In the context of the city, I actually think probably the city core will be the best performer over the next five years. I think it, it just got very odd that Shoreditch was more expensive than the city core in rental terms. That has to correct. Uh, so I think, you know, the city core will show stronger growth. I just add, I, I think it's, it's all about creating the right product. And, and what we have seen is that tenants are drawn to the right product and, and, and the building itself. And, and clearly what feeds into that is, is the immunity and the communications. But it has been a case of being less specific about the geography itself. But what is the right building? On that subject, then, here's a question that's been asked just a moment ago. How much will the density at which offices are occupied change to reflect ongoing wellness? The related question to that is, you know, the top floor of tall buildings have been prime areas for people and, uh, until 
now. Do you think that'll change? Do you think people will want maybe to be in their own space rather than shared space, as well as this density question? I'll take the high rise one and let somebody else take the density one. Given the current restrictions in terms of social distancing, obviously there are issues with moving up and down tall buildings at the moment. But I think we have to look beyond um, an environment of sustained social distancing. And when something close to normality returns, I think the fundamentals of those high-rise buildings will shine through as they have done in the past. Before the crisis, I was building into our predictions the fact that I felt that um, occupational density in London in particular had gone about as far as it could. We were down to one to eight, one to six in some of the serviced office providers, even less than that. And I think it just felt wrong to me when we were just starting to pay serious attention to, to wellness in the workplace. All of our staff surveys, not about Savile staff, but where we did them for clients, were saying that you know people were having problems with the noise in the office. And even actually our last What Workers once said people were having problems with the smell in the office, being so close to each other, eating their lunch. So I thought before the crisis, occupational densities were going to start to reduce. Um, and I think the crisis has probably accentuated that. The risk of uh, playing devil's advocate a little bit that, you know, we are sort of talking as if everything is sort of relatively normal and will return to normal. But you do get stories about law firms saying that you're going to completely change the way they operate. You have Standard Charter saying that they're offering local flexible working space to all of their people. Are you absolutely confident that, that, that there isn't some major change coming? My experience, I have to say, is, is always we over predict change at the sort of nadir of crises. Um, undeniably, we, you know, you can't put the working from home genie back in the bottle. And, and I've been astonished how many companies that we work with who were very resistant to it, who are sort of grudgingly admitting that actually, um, yeah, it kind of works. So I have no doubt that more people will be working at home home more often than they did in the past. And I think from a from a researcher's point of view, that does weaken the relationship between employment growth and, and leasing growth. But I haven't seen any survey that suggests that we are on a sort of a pivotal moment and, and everything is going to be different because, you know, to be honest, people are relatively hurt, like stuck in a rut. Um, they carry on doing it. But insisting that people are in the office five days a week is uh, and then talking about staff wellness is is a very bizarre situation to be in. So I think some good things, changes will come out of it. I think we're in an evolutionary phase, undoubtedly. And the way that we work is is evolving. But I think personally, you know, from speaking to uh, investors over the last couple of weeks in, in London, in the UK particularly, I think lockdown three has kind of sealed the deal. Lockdown one was a bit uh, of a novelty. Uh, we then got back to work a little bit, a bit more flexibly at the end of last year. And it was a real disappointment being um, back at home again uh, at the beginning of this year. So I think uh, I think the novelty is probably worn off. Let's move on and, and, and start talking about something slightly different, which is which is rents. As witnessed by the transactions that actually have taken place since the start of the pandemic, rents have held, especially amongst the sort of very prime power space. And even record rents have been set in, in the pandemic. And I think that's a reflection of the fact that you know, it is an undersupplied sector. And it's not just the prime space. It's actually the unit size of accommodation, which I think is really key, because 
Again, the tenant control space, it hasn't delivered large blocks of space. Anything north of 50,000 square feet is still quite rare within the sort of supply statistics. So I think fundamentally for the top end and for the larger unit sizes, I think rents will remain relatively robust. But I can't get away from the fact that essentially they, for some of the sort of below 10,000 square feet units, you know, just the sheer weight of supply is going to bear heavy on rental growth. And uh, Stephen, a, a slightly related question yeah. about yields. Maybe do you, do you want to talk about what you think about that and what the, what you think you know, the sort of yields are, are, are going to look like a bit? Well, there's evidence in the market activity last year where investors feel there are pressure points in our marketplace. So, you know, 83% of transactions done across central London were in the core and core plus. Uh, category. And that's almost a reverse of what we see normally in our marketplace, where the majority of transactions are in this sort of opportunistic value add. I think the focus going forward, certainly for the next 12 to 18 months, will continue to be in the core space and core plus. It'll continue to be focused on the very best assets. And, and, and we're seeing a little bit of price capitulation in that value add area. I think there'll be more uh, as we go forward. And certainly, quite a lot more in, in the sort of non-core, more fringy locations. Emma, do you see from, from the, your, your, your contacts uh, that the, the same thing, a flight to core happening? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've seen that um, demonstrated last year. And in actual fact, during the course of 2020, our West End prime yield actually moved in because of the weight of money looking for that prime core stock. And so I think London, is looking and continue has looked and continues to look like relative value actually in a global context. And I think at the start of 2020, we're expecting yield compression for the very best. And I think in time to come, maybe towards the end of this year, we might actually see some more of that. Um, as, as I say, is in the context of mainly Europe and further afield, London actually looks like relative value. We had a number of questions around the sort of infrastructure area uh here's one example what's the panel's opinion about the new hubs like nine elms with the northern extension which is due to open later this year but also a few questions about the elizabeth line and whether that's fully priced in and whether it's going to change when it actually finally has trains running through it which people can actually go on and things like that does it perhaps uh, uh i don't know whoever wants to have a go at, at, at those sorts of things those sort of infrastructure type questions with over the next few years I'll happily take the Elizabeth line one guy and then I'll, I'll defer to others on the regional hubs. But I think as and when the Elizabeth line does eventually open, I think inevitably it will have an impact on central London. I think people judge distance by time. And therefore, I think what it will do is, is it, as Matt mentioned previously, is essentially that I think it, it will reinforce the, the centre of London in the ease with which people are able to get into the centre. And I think the reality is, is it will probably make London, the centre of London, smaller, more concentrated, simply because people will be able to get there quicker from the periphery. Stephen, in the investment terms, is the, is the Elizabeth line fully priced in and has been for a few years? Or, or, or is no, it... I don't think it has. I don't think it has at all. I mean, because it's been delayed for so many so many times, I think that we've, we've kind of forgotten about it on the investment side for a while, but I think it will come back in when it's open. And let's hope it's 2022. It was not delayed further, but, um, I think when it does come in and people start using it and the ease of journey is, is there for a lot more commuters, then I think it will definitely impact more significantly. We definitely have investors looking to buy along the Elizabeth line 
and we sold a building last year at Finsbury Circus to an investor where, where we, I think we, their driver was to be on that Elizabeth line and, and the pricing, you know, they, they gave an effect to that optimism, uh, for, for an improvement in the infrastructure. We haven't really talked much about a, a fairly significant part of the London market at the moment, which is subletting. Uh, Philip, I wanted to ask you how worried you are about the, the, the subletting situation at the moment. I mean, I think we, it is one of the sort of factors that we've been monitoring throughout the pandemic, almost on a monthly basis. One thing I would say is that essentially in the, you know, the beginning of December was the first time where the rate of addition of tenant control space has dropped back. It remained relatively consistent at about 200,000 odd square feet per month post the summer. But at the beginning of December, it did just begin to drop back. That rate has got fallen now back to around about 100,000 square feet for the last six weeks or so. And I just pose the question, I guess, is that we've been in the pandemic now for thick end of 10 months. If space was coming to the market, arguably it may already have come to the market. And question, the composition of it is, is, is well reported, but I think the rate of accretion of new space has begun to drop back. And I think that might coincide with some more positive views around vaccine and just generally people beginning to focus on moving back into London rather than always focused on lockdown and, and, and work from home. We've had quite a lot of questions in about uh, service office space, uh, specifically WeWork. There's been lots about WeWork being in trouble recently, more, uh, more trouble recently. Uh, where do we think that that is, that whole sector? I think that's a bit of a broad question, but is, is this an opportunity for that sector? Is it an investment opportunity uh, or is it going to suffer? I think it's an opportunity. There's been a lot of chat about hub and spoke and maybe people will downsize their big London office and, and open up regional offices to, to make their staff commute shorter. You know, that's not going to happen. You know, nobody's going to go out and acquire a load of new offices around the home counties, but it's relatively easy to buy your staff a membership, uh, one of these multi-memberships of, that, that give you access to all of the serviced office providers. And if you talk to our, our colleagues at work there, they will say that, you know, inquiries in serviced office centres have been going up quite steadily since you know, October, November last year. Occupancy still relatively low, but improving. So I think you know, serviced office providers might be the surprising beneficiaries um, of this crisis. Also, you get loads of new business formation coming out of a recession. And again, the logical place to go when you're starting a business would be a serviced office provider. I think everyone recognising that service offices has a genuine role to play in most occupiers portfolios in the terms of dealing with short-term uncertainty. So I wasn't surprised to see Standard Chartered breach the agreement they did, but let's be honest, it, it, it's providing their staff with an alternative in, in, in the short term. It's not a long-term solution, it's just an alternative in, in the short term. And I, I think, like Matt, I think you know, service offices undoubtedly got a role to play going forward. From an investment perspective, I think investors have been cautious around the service office sector for a while now, but it's not surprising. There's been a lot of bad and negative press around it, but I think the rhetoric around it is improving and that they will be a beneficiary of what has happened in the last year or so. And, and I think that will actually feed into the investment market as well. And people will become more robust about the sector and, and more engaged with it. You know, investors and landlords are already emulating service office. They themselves are creating more flexible workspace within their developments, uh, taking control of that. And uh, I think that's a theme we'll see continuing. And the impact for investors is more 
flexible working means for shorter leases and the impact on, on investment values, investment yields when you've got much shorter leases to deal with. It would be sad not to talk about Brexit at all. Have we really got more clarity, Stephen and Emma, perhaps, in terms of the equivalency and financial services, such a vital sector? Do we really know yet? Are we really in a situation where we can say uh, that, that, that we know what's going to happen? At the moment, no. We're, we're, we're promised that there will be more clarity on that by the end of March. And as I said earlier, that, uh, the Chancellor is, is saying that, that this will be resolved and it will make London ready for the, it, it, its next burst of, of growth. But we definitely need a bit more, a bit more clarity on financial services and indeed services generally. But I remain optimistic that we'll get that and uh, we'll be the beneficiaries of that. I agree. It hasn't been clear, but it hasn't actually been clear what the result would be for the last four years and what it would look like. And I think from an international capital perspective, we've seen a lot of investment despite that um, is the reality. And, and we're expecting to see more. And actually some institutional investors, both in Europe and, and, and further afield, have had Brexit or the uncertainty around Brexit stopping them from investing today. But I think we expect that that will change. And so we're expecting to see more European institutional investment in the market. We may see, Stephen, I don't know what you think, the reemergence of, of some Japanese money in, yeah, into absolutely. the market, Taiwanese, yeah. etc. because there is that additional piece of certainty that we've been lacking, although it's not fully clear yet. And on that positive note, that, as they say, was that. You heard from Stephen Down, Head of Central London Investment, Philip Pierce, Head of Central London Leasing, Emma Steele, Director of Global Cross-Border Investment, and Matt Oakley, Head of Commercial Research. I hope you've enjoyed this special episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.